as we stand, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who opens our hearts and our minds to your truth. We thank you that your word is the living word and ask that you will shape us, change us as we hear it so that that Jesus may be glorified in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's very good to be with you again. This is my third Sunday with you, and uh, it's preaching twice in three weeks. Uh, it is interesting how God works. He, uh, we had to switch a, a holiday uh, that we were supposed to take last Sunday and this Sunday, um, about a month or so ago, and I couldn't replace it because usually I'm visiting all kinds of churches all over Western Canada, and so these two Sundays were open. And I must say, it has been a real joy to be with you during this time. Spent some time with your staff uh, this week and uh, also have spent lots of time with your uh, leadership team as well. And I must say, uh, you have a wonderful church family here. And uh, God uh, is blessing many people through it. So I'm very thankful for you and I'm thankful to be here as well. Uh, We are uh, preaching God's word. Now, uh, this little passage that Shannon read is a very powerful passage. And the context of it is, I want to let you know as we go into it, is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. And he is preparing them for a life without him. What will life be like following Jesus without him there? And when I was reading this, I was thinking of my son, Alexander. Um, Shannon Daly knows my son because she taught him English in grade 10. Um, But he is leaving to Toronto tomorrow. And uh, and I have very mixed feelings. Of course, as a dad, it's very hard to believe that he is gone. And uh, by the way, you you who have little children that are babies, it goes by very quickly, (laughs) believe it or not. So he's 20 years old. He is going to Toronto. And my thought is, have have I prepared him well to go to the center of the universe? of all places, and, uh, uh, and thinking about, you know, have I, have I prepared him, as my wife and I prepared him for the life in the big world like that, but more importantly, have we prepared him well to follow the Lord Jesus in difficult times? Will he be faithful? And that's my prayer for him, that he will grow in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ as he goes away from home into the big city there. So this is a little bit like what's going on here because Jesus is teaching that uh, really after his resurrection, which is the center of all things in our world, in our universe, this is, a, this is the powerful thing where God has come into our world and brought his resurrection power to save us. And we are then looking forward to the day when Jesus will come again in glory and make all things right, give us a resurrection body, Uh, judge all things, and everyone will know him as Lord and Savior. They will know the goodness of God very, very powerfully forever. Now, in that in-between time that you and I are, Jesus teaches us about our inner life. He teaches about our hearts. In a time of preparation for us following Jesus in this world, uh, he teaches about the life that no one sees but is all important to us. 
So Tim Keller said something very helpful about our hearts. He says, what your heart most wants, your mind finds reasonable. Your emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. You see, it's all about what is most important to us. Your heart affects everything. And our passage today is like a heart checkup. You know, you check your hearts all the time. If you go in for a physical, it's, it's blood pressure. Uh, your watch tells you what your heart rate is, especially if you're working hard and exercising for strong hearts. And we look for signs of heart attacks and any problems for us. Well, Jesus in this passage examines our heart, our inner life, and he does this throughout the Gospel of Luke. And that's why it actually begins, Luke, with Jesus as a little baby. Do you remember, Simeon blessed uh, Jesus and his family, and here's what he said to his mom. He's, he's, you know, like very, very small, little, tiny baby. And he says to, his Mar to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's what Jesus' purpose is, to reveal hearts. And the reason Jesus reveals hearts is to heal them, to renew them. And I wonder this morning where your heart is. You might have newly joined St. Peter's because you are searching for God. You want to know more about him. Well, God's purpose for you is to give you a heart that is alive to God, to make you a new creation inside. You may also have come to St. John's, St. Peter's for a long time, and you're honest. You're honestly saying, I'm not sure where my heart is towards God. Well, Jesus' work is to change you. And his good news means that he transforms hardened and blocked arteries so that your heart beats for him with his love. Uh, so it's good to hear today uh, your vision several times that what you are about is joining God in the renewal of your city, which is a fantastic vision. What Jesus is saying here is it starts with you. So you are joining him in the renewal of you. That is his purpose in your life. I don't know if you remember Peter, uh, who your church is named after, being restored. Of course, he, he denied Jesus three times. But at the very end of John, John 21, what does Jesus do? He gives them opportunities three times to do the very opposite, saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time, Jesus said, feed my sheep, after Peter said, I do, I do, I do. That is the renewal and the restoring of Peter. And this healing work needs to happen for each of us. So in this passage, I want to talk about a diagnosis Jesus makes and then a treatment with a prescription that he makes. So there's just two parts to this sermon. The first part's the longest, the diagnosis. But I want to talk about it a bit because the diagnosis is uncomfortable to hear. Uh, he, Jesus, has revealed the hearts of many Pharisees in a very hostile dinner, uncomfortable dinner party that Pharisees had invited him to back in chapter 11. And if you're scrolling in your Bible, you can look back at there. What Jesus does in this, in this dinner is he calls them out for wickedness and greed in their hearts, for neglecting justice and God's mercy and love. 
And the party ends with the lawyers and the Pharisees, the Bible says, pressing him hard in verse uh, 53, chapter 11, verse 53. And from now on, they plan to ambush him and catch him saying something that could be used against him in a serious way. Now, I've read a lot about Pharisees this week. I don't know if you guys read about Pharisees before. Their name means one who is separated. And what they were were lay people who led a grassroots populist movement that emphasized separation from Gentiles and from unfaithful uh, Jews as well. They were very popular with a common person, and they were a real contrast to the less-like Sadducees, who were aristocrats, elitists. They were ordained, and they controlled the temple worship. The Pharisees taught you that you could live a very religious life without having to go to all the things in the, in the temple, no matter what your status. So you didn't need priests. Uh, you could, uh, to perform rituals, and you could apply Jewish laws to sanctify, to cleanse the everyday world. And it really became the religion of the common person that anyone could participate in. It was centered in synagogues in every little town, these small synagogues. I've been in one of those in, uh, in Israel, and it's amazing. You know, it seats about 50 people. That's where they could do this. So why did Jesus so strongly rebuke these people at a dinner party? Well, here's the hard diagnosis. It is because their hearts had become hard towards God. They had become godless so that they were honored by the people for being holy and teaching God's way, but something very different was happening on the inside, and they didn't even know it. So Jesus shines God's light into their hearts so they could see how far away from God they had become. They were in deep spiritual danger. That's why Jesus is so strong with them. They are in danger of rejecting the only one who could change their hearts and bring them peace with God, make them alive to God. So uh, in Mark 7, Jesus makes a clear diagnosis of their hearts. Here's what he said. He said to the Pharisees, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of people. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men, of people. So their words and their deeds mean nothing to God because their heart is far away from them. This is a shocking thing to say. And when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, he's not saying that they're insincere or putting on an act. That's often what we think of with hypocrite. They sincerely believe that in keeping all the commandments, they were honoring God and maintaining his religion and structures. But what was going on inside of them was deeply dishonoring. They were far from God. Remember Paul. He was a Pharisee, and he testified that he was zealous for God. I mean, that was what all of his energy was about. But what, they, what he couldn't see is that his heart had become hard towards God. And this was true for the Pharisees. Their devotion to their cause had replaced their devotion to God. So the Bible said that their hypocrisy was actually malice towards God. It was evil, stopping people from seeing the kingdom of God. So you can see that in that way, many of them came to actually hate Jesus and seek to destroy him. Wow. So how could this happen? How could this happen to these people? 
Well, they were careless about two things. It was careless, and it made them godless. The first thing was, was that they were careless with God's word. So they leave the commandments of God. They hold the traditions of people. And so what they were doing was they were holding fast to an oral tradition that was in addition to the Bible. And they were letting go of God's word. And that uh, tradition included debate and commentary in the Bible, as well as rules that had developed over many years uh, that they considered to be God's word as well. Now, I think this is a very contemporary expression of religion that was really a reflection of the religious society and the spirit of the age. You know, it was saying, I can make myself clean, I can make myself acceptable to God, I can do religion on my own terms as I follow the rules and as I create a strong nation. That was the thinking. And Pharisees were very much conformed to the spirit of their age because it meant being recognized and, ex and respected and status in the society, which they absolutely loved. They feared what people would say and earnestly desired to be popular and respected. They were looking for likes. Does that sound familiar? They wanted people to subscribe. But in their neglect of God's word, they couldn't desire what God willed. And therefore, they rejected his son. And that leads to the second reason for their, careless, their, their godless hearts. And that, and that is that they were careless with what was going on inside of them. You see, here, God reaches hearts through his word. The Bible opens God's word to us. This is so important to us. The Bible opens God's heart to us. It opens who God really is. He reveals our own deep need for God's grace and mercy as we listen humbly. This is why God's word is such a gift. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful, that we have a great need for God to hear him and speak his truth to us in a living word. We have a deep need to have our inner life renewed day by day. But what they did was to neglect God's word. They couldn't see that their hearts, therefore, were far from God. They were not knowing God. This says a lot about our society, about our city here in Vancouver, where we live, because they, like our society, are deeply influenced by the spirit of the age. They want to be liked and followed. And we live in the society that also has the commandments of people that are taught as doctrine, the things we must believe. And some of those things are consistent with God's command, and we rejoice in that, uh, such as to implement social justice, to erase racism, to commit to equality, to protect the weak and the vulnerable, to care for our environment, and to respect all peoples and faiths these are required by our society, and they are also consistent with God's commands. But the spirit of our age goes on to say, we can create this society with a morality that confirms and conforms to my own desires. We can determine our identities independent from God, and we won't be contradicted by him. Just as the Pharisee says, we will not be contradicted by Jesus. In fact, we will define God. This is the spirit of the age. We will strongly discipline those who do not conform to those commands that we have created by canceling them and shaming them. You see, there's a pride that underlines all of this. This is what we are about in our culture. 
Now, I don't know if uh, any of you have uh, heard Mark Sayers, uh, Australian pastor. He has a podcast and has written some books, and he is very insightful in his critiques of our culture. Uh, and in his own culture, it's very similar to Vancouver. And he said this, he said, society wants the fruits of the kingdom without a king. That's really helpful. It's well put. There's no need for the Lord God who saves in this religion of our culture. And that's because it is a religion of the self. And churches can very easily conform to the spirit of the age. As one writer that I looked at today, who, he wrote a little article a couple of about a year ago, he became very disillusioned with his evangelical faith, and he became involved with progressive Christianity, a form of it. And he then, uh, in his journey, became disillusioned with that, and he re rediscovered God's word. And he said this, he said, I realized that we want all of God's blessings without submitting to his loving rule and reign. We want progress without his presence. We want justice without his justification. And we want the horizontal implications of the gospel for society without the vertical reconciliation of sinners with God. We want society to conform to our standard of moral purity without God's standard of personal holiness. That's very helpful because that's the spirit of this age. And it can quietly infect our hearts and replace our devotion to Jesus, as it did with the Pharisees. It's a danger for each of us. And that's why Jesus said in verse 1, with thousands of people listening, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Not beware of the Pharisees, but their teaching, their leaven, which was all about conforming to the spirit of the age so that it replaces God in their hearts. Now, I know in looking at you all that you, in the last two years, there have been a number of you who have made bread. You have joined the multitudes of people during COVID who made homemade bread at home with uh, maybe even without a bread maker. But therefore, you know about yeast. You know about leaven. It's very, very small. You cannot, you can hardly see it. And a very small amount goes into a loaf of bread. I hope you put a small amount in. But after you mix it together, slowly but surely, it does bring a change that affects every part of that loaf of bread. And it shapes it profoundly. And in the same way, the spirit of our age is unseen, Jesus is saying. It can quietly affect you, every part of your life, and in fact, the whole church, in a very powerful way over time, so that it shapes us. And that's why Jesus so strongly warns here. So that's the diagnosis. That's the uncomfortable thing. And I want to close by saying, well, what is Jesus' prescription? What are we to follow for our healing? What are his words? Well, very simply, it is critical for us to hear the very words of Jesus. That's the prescription here that he says. So that we can see God's reality among a world that strongly influences every part of my life. We need to see God's reality. It must be through Jesus. So look at what Jesus says in verse 2 and 3. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms 
shall be proclaimed on the housetop. That is reality. Jesus knows your hearts. He rules with perfect power and understanding. And on the day at the end of history, he will judge every person's heart and reveal them in his light. Now, that's kind of uncomfortable. I, I, there's something th about everything coming to light with God. Um, every morning, by the way, I do not need to have an alarm clock. And I'll tell you why. It's because two women walk their dogs on the sidewalk in front of our house at 7 a.m., and they talk so loudly, we can hear it with the windows closed. And um, often, they are complaining about things in their life, terrible injustices they feel that have done to them. And so you, you know without a shadow of a doubt that there is deep resentment in their hearts. Well, they would probably say that as well. And I hear it every morning at 7 a.m. Well, in a way, uh, this is what we are thinking of here, is that that kind of revelation of who we are, that, that clarity of who, what we are about, will happen one day at the end of history. If you believe in Jesus Christ, we are so very thankful to know that Jesus has been judged in your place on the cross. God has accepted you forever by his saving work in Jesus. But the Bible also says that you will be held accountable for all that you have said and done, what has come out of your heart. God is very active in those verses I just read. If you have, and I have things to hide, it is a warning. If you act faithfully to Christ, this passage is also a motivation. It will be known. And the amazing thing about the day of judgment is that you're not only going to see what is worthless in God's eyes about your life, but God will also show what was of immense value as well. I don't know if you ever thought of that about judgment. There is a blessing about it too. We will know clearly in God's word that it will have to do with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what comes out of a heart that is changed by the Holy Spirit. And that is the change that is happening now in you. It is what the gospel does in us. It comes as we are in step with the Holy Spirit, as we hear Jesus' words that we know of reality and walk in step with that reality as well. And God will praise us. That is the blessing of judgment, what God has done of it. Wonderfully, verse, 1 Corinthians 4 says, us, says to us, when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, and then each will receive their commendation or their praise from God. You will be praised by God in, judge, in the judgment day. He will praise us. What a motivation to be loyal and to hold fast to Jesus and his words. So as we listen to his prescription, as we listen closely to Jesus and the whole Bible's witness to him, we need to be concerned, first of all, with our own hearts. The only thing that will bring about the blessings that our society needs is hearts that are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit by the power of the gospel of Jesus. Because his Holy Spirit transforms our relationships with God, with one another, and with creation. That's God's work. He is our peace. 
he breaks down the walls of hostility between us and uh, between us and God and between one another. It is the peace that the world needs. The gospel is precious and powerful. It's the only thing of lasting, ultimate value that we have to give in this world. This is the treasure God has entrusted you with. And so I want to end with Psalm 86. And Psalm 86 prays for a new heart that Jesus gives. It is an undivided heart, curious term, because it's not pulled in two ways. It's not like the Pharisees' hearts where the spirit of the age has replaced devotion to God. It is tempting to think in your heart, how can I be as much like the world as possible and still be a Christian? How can I do that? But Psalm 86 is completely different. It asks for a heart taught by God as we pray and listen carefully to God's word, that prescription, our healing. And here's what it says. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. There is that love of God that casts out all fear. Fear of rejection and loss of status. And so we come to God, needy people, knowing that he replaces our heart of stone with a heart that is alive, beating for the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is our hope, he is our salvation, and he is the blessing that the world needs above all things. So please pray for me. Please pray with me, too, as we bow our heads and pray to him.